0: And um, the rest of us, let's grab our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In the Bibles we provide, it's on page 830. 830 in the Bibles we provide. We're going to be in Matthew 25 looking at verses 14 through 30 today. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. As you you turn there, I want you to think about the many ways that we rationalize spending beyond what we have. I mean, if you were to think here for a second, you could probably come up with some funny one-liners that you've heard people justify some of their expenses. For instance, it's been a tough day. I deserve to indulge. All right, man, you just, you don't know my day. I needed to buy this thing. Or what about this? Buying this thing will allow me to be more efficient and productive, so I'll actually end up making more money. Well, that could be true. We could also use that to justify a lot of our expenses. Or, or what about this? I'll make sure to spend less next month to make up for this month's blurred. So it's like I'm going to jump forward into that month's budget or, or cash flow and pull it into this month and justify my spending. But my guess is this fourth one is probably where most of us land. It's a really good deal. I'm actually saving money. I guarantee some of you are already looking at the good deals. We talked about it last week. But you look at Black Friday and all the good deals, and you're like, man, $1,000 off of that flat screen. I just saved $1,000. And I'll say, yeah, but you spent 2000 Like, how does that equate to saving But oftentimes, we'll rationalize even our spending by saying that we're saving. Well, how should we think biblically about spending money? We've been implicitly throughout this whole series alluding to this word manage. The title of the series is treasure, managing God's money. But we really haven't explicitly talked about what does it mean to be a manager or might I say, a steward of God's money. So today we're gonna look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30 to understand the concept of stewardship. Um, Before we jump into just a little context here, this is occurring in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew where Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's telling his disciples about the signs of his coming and of the end of the age. And as he's telling them this, he's telling them that you need to be watchful and that you need to be prepared. So Jesus is going to, he's headed to the cross, he's going to die, he's going to sin, and then down the road he's going to return. How do we live in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ? We should be watchful and we should be Prepared, And so what he does is he, sh- he shares a number of parables. He shares the parable about the homeowner and the thief. And he says, if you would have known when the thief was coming, what would you have done? You would have stayed awake. You would have been ready. And then he shares another parable. He talks about the two servants. And he says, blessed is the servant whom his master finds doing his will when he returns. And then there's the parable of the ten virgins. Five of them Take no oil. Five of them do take oil. And at the very end of that parable, in verse 13, it leads us into our section today. This is what Jesus says Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Then he shares the parable of the talents. But what the parable of the talents does is it goes beyond the previous parables, is he's not just saying you need to be watchful because you don't know when he's going to return. The previous parable is about, hey, when he returns, you need to be ready. What he's going to do in the parable of talents, he's going to say, your watchfulness should impact and influence and manifest itself in stewardship during his absence. So we don't just want to be ready when he returns, We should live in a certain way now that stewards well to prepare us for his return. And so I'm going to start reading in Matthew 25, verse 14. This is what the word of God says. For it, and let me just pause here. Go back to 25, verse 1. In 25, 1, it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be light. Verse 14 is, is so tied to this previous parable here that the it here is referring to the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of heaven. So for it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability then he went away. So let's just set the stage here and talk about a few things. We've got a man who has property. Later we're going to see this man's called the master. And this master has servants. or so your text may say slaves or bondservant. And, and this time, a bondservant or slave or servant, they had considerable responsibility and Authority, And so this master is going to go on a long journey, the text says, and he's going to come back after a long time. And what he does during this long journey is he, it says, he entrusts. We're going to come back to that word. But he entrusts his property to these servants. In fact, it calls this property talents. So to one servant, he gives five talents to another two and to another one. Now, when you sit here, you hear that word talent, what do you think about? Like, hey, man, I got a few talents, you know? I got some skills, like Micah, he's got some talents. He can strum, and he can sing, and Joel, and, and Christina, and you know, we, we've got talents, but this word used here in the New Testament times referred to a monetary unit of exchange. You might even have a a footnote in the bottom of your Bible there that says a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages for labor. Now, there's disagreement on exactly how much this talent, because a talent could be gold, it could have been silver, it could have been copper, but generally agreed on is that one talent equaled about 6,000 denarii, or roughly a, a, a day laborer's wages for 20 years. Now, let's just pause for a second. So, if one talent equals 20 years' wages, I don't know, what would we say? $300,000? I don't know, depending on what job you were doing, how much is five talents worth? 20 times five. 100. You guys get that? So, so five talents would it be 100 years' wages. Um, Two talents would be 40 years wages and one talent would be 20 years wages. And it says that they were each given different amounts. Why? In verse 15, to each according to his ability. Now I want to pause here in the story and here's what I'm going to do. We're going to be walking through this parable and then we're going to be jumping out and drawing some implications for us to think about stewardship. And so the first thing, the first truth that I want you to get today is this, is that you should acknowledge God as the rightful owner of all you have. Acknowledge God as the rightful owner of all you have. Now let me just ask you this, whose property is it? Is it the servant's property? No, it's the master's property. Now let me ask you, when the master returns, what does he expect? If it's his property and he comes back to his property, what does he expect? He expects to get it back. So he didn't give them his property. He entrusted to them his property. The master fully expects to re- to return to his property at the end of his journey. And so if we are going to be stewards and we're going to manage God's wealth, money well wealth, through spending, then you must get this. It's the foundation of everything we say today. God owns everything you have. Now, our primary focus today is to look at money. But let me just say this. This, this parable is not just specifically talking about money. We could apply it to the many things that God has given to us that we're to steward. We're to steward our minds, we're to steward our bodies, we're to to steward it all. I'm going to particularly just take this idea of money today and talk about how we steward the money that God has given to us. But here's our temptation. Later in the service, we're going to pass an offering basket by. And you may drop your check or, or a few bucks or, or whatever you throw in there. But here's our temptation. Our temptation is to think that I've put my 10% in or I've put my money in and I've done my Christian duty as if the other 90% I can do with it however I want. Now, guys, you got to get this. If God owns everything, he owns the 10% as much as he owns The 90%, and he's much concerned with how you spend the 90% as what you give and the 10%. You guys following me here? This is just working out what it looks like to know that God owns everything. I love J.D. Greer, how he aptly puts this. He says, Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. Shouldn't we respond by offering our all to him? Yeah. Yeah. He owns all of it. So when you get this, when you realize that God owns it all, that you're just his steward or money manager, Randy Alcorn says this. He says, everything falls into place. I'm not God. Money isn't God. God is God. He's in his place. I'm in mine. Money's in its. He says, life gets much easier and clear when we understand God owns everything. But there's a second thing that we need to get with with understanding God's rightful ownership, and it's this. God will hold you accountable to what he's given you. And we're going to see that in the parable of the talents. When he returns, he's going to settle accounts. Why? Because he is the rightful owner. Now, what do we do often? Oftentimes, we complain because so-and-so person has more than I do. To do that is to miss the point. You see, God is not going to hold you accountable for what you don't have. He's going to hold you accountable for what you do have. And so it's the temptation to look to maybe the rich person and say, but why do they have this and I have this and And for everybody, whatever your lot in life, these servants here, we're not told why. We're just told they were given each according to their ability. God owns everything, and he has full right to give some to more than he does others. That's his choice. But what he holds us accountable for is that even those who are given less are obligated to use and develop what they have. You need to walk away knowing this. It's not how much I don't have, it's what I do have. And to look yourself in the mirror and saying, how am I stewarding what God has given me? Not walking away thinking, man, look at what this other person has. So you're the steward not what you don't have, but what you do have. Let me, let me give you an illustration that may help you to process through this. A couple months ago, um, you guys know I used to drive around a white little Toyota Camry um, in fact, that was my sister sold that to me before she went to India um, as a missionary for three years, and so she's returning back and didn't feel obligated, but I felt compelled that hey, she's back and she needs a car. I'm gonna sell it back to her, basically for what she sold it to me. So we we just we switched we switched it over. But do you know what it looks like to switch something over like that? We agree on a price, and so she either hands me the cash or she writes me a check. But before the car is hers, what's got to happen? What's got to happen? We got to pull out the title. The title verifies who owns the car. So if somebody were to steal my car, I've got the title. It's, my name is on it. It's my car. So what we do is we pull out this title, and I flip it over on the back, and I transfer ownership to my sister, Right? Maybe this is what some of you need to do today. Look, God owns everything. But if it's helpful for you to take out a piece of paper today in a light of God owning everything, for you to say, today, I transfer everything and I mean everything, my salary, my retirement, my emergency fund, my house, my cars, my life is a blank check. I'm transferring it to to you, God, because you already own it, but I'm doing this as a physical example in front of everybody as witnesses to see that God owns my life. So I'll just pose this question if somebody were to evaluate your life today, would they come away with the conclusion that you're the owner or that you're the steward? Now, as we continue reading the story, we're going to see how these servants stewarded this man's money. Verse 16, let's pick back up. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. What are some things that we can draw here from their immediate response? Well, you see, it says here in verse 16, he who had received the five talents did what? went at once. Or your text may say, immediately went, and he put his money to work. He didn't say, hey, my master's coming. He's on a long journey. He's got a while before he comes back. I'm going to sit and cruise. No, immediately. He takes these talents, and it says he puts them to work. Or, Or it may say he traded with them. And just so you'll get this, this servant didn't take this money and invest it in some lending agency and say, all right, it's done, I've invested it. What, what this putting to work or training with it implies, D.A. Carson says this, it says, rather, he set up some business and worked with the capital to make it grow. We know what they did wasn't lazy because later we're going to see in the one talent and he, Jesus rebukes the man with the one talent and he calls him slothful. So whatever these first two guys did, we know it wasn't something that they were just sitting back cruising, being lazy. They were getting to work and and making what this master had given him and multiplying what he had given him. And so what he did, he turned five talents and he made five talents more. The same with the second talent in verse 17. He did exactly but the guy who had given one talent. He dug it in the ground He hid his master's money. He chose what he thought was the safer route. Why? He was either unwilling to work or to take risk. Now, we're going to come back to them in a second, but I just want to draw another implication out here. We're not going to spend a ton of time, but it's this. Steward what God has entrusted to you without delay. I mean, this is just pretty simple. Faithful servants and stewards fill the responsibility of their assignments and they go to work. It would be tempting to think, yeah, man, Jesus ain't coming back today. Man, this journey, man, he's got thousands of miles to travel. It's going to be months or years before he gets back. But that's not what a faithful steward does. A faithful steward gets to work. So the point of the parable is that we shouldn't wait to right before the return and begin stewarding well. Get after it now. So let me just practically ask you, what's keeping you right now from being a faithful steward of what God's given you? Don't delay. But as we continue reading this parable, we're going to see that the master comes and he settles accounts. And so I'm going to continue here in verse 19. It says this, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts With them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap or I have not sown, and gather or I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him, who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's pretty straightforward, right? Right? The servant with the five talents turned his five into ten, and he was praised primarily for his faithfulness. You hear that word faithful, repeat it over. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. So what God is after for each and every one of you is not to worry about what somebody else has, but it's that you would be Faithful. That if you have five, you would be faithful. That if you have two, you would be faithful. And if you have one, you would be faithful. But not only that, not only was he praised for his faithfulness, he was given increased responsibility. He says, you've been faithful over little. I will make you responsible over much. And then he says, enter into the joy of of your master. Not only was the faithful steward given more responsibility, he was invited into a relationship with his master to enter into his joy. The same thing with the two-talent servant. The same response. But the one-talent servant, the master comes and he settles the count. Here it is. Here's your one talent. You know, I'm just going to pause for a second. Remind me again, how much was the one talent worth? 20 years' wages. I mean, you you think one and you probably think little. Guys, the fact that he had 20 years' wages is still a substantial amount of money. But what does he do? He accuses the master of exploiting the labor of others. Look at, how, look at what his response says. Verse 24, Master, I need you to be a hard man. You reaped where you did not sow. You gathered where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent. He thought he was in a no-win situation. In other words, this is what the one-talent man, he said, if I go and make a profit, I'm not going to see any of the money. And if I risk it and lose it and fail, I'm definitely going to experience his wrath. There's no way that I could win. He might have also been mad, it doesn't say this, that he was given less than the other servants. My guess is there's probably something there as he's looking around. Because, man, I know how sin works in each of us and we love to compare ourselves. And we love to look around, and we love to find a way to complain. And you know, if you'll look around, you'll always find somebody that has more than you. Always. Well, what did he do, though? He overlooked his responsibility to fulfill his assigned duties. Let me ask you this. Is, is the servant the owner of these resources? No, the master is. He confused his role. The servant is not the master. The servant doesn't get to decide how the money's spent or used or made. The servant just serves. So as sower so, stewards steward. That's what you do. That is your role. You know what his actions reveal? His actions reveal that he doesn't truly love his master. And he covered His lack of love with excuses. You see, his excuses only show that he did not truly love the master. And so, what did he do? He received condemnation from his master, who called him wicked, called him slothful, and called him worthless. And he says, At minimum, go throw it in the bank, and at least I'll get some interest. Like, at least, it's like, at least you could have done that. I mean, I don't even have any interest. You just gave me what I gave back to you. Does anybody think that this is a harsh response? I see some, you're like, man, this is harsh. Slothful, wicked, worthless. Don't miss the point here. D.A. Carson says this, to fail to do good and use what God has entrusted to us to use is a grievous sin. You need to wrestle with that shock value. To mismanage what God's given you isn't just like, oh, I I didn't, you know. Man, this is big. We're all gonna be held accountable for everything that God has given us. And so you know what the master does? He takes even the one talent that he had, takes it away. So in the end, this one talent person lost everything. He lost a relationship, and he lost even the talent that was given him. But the one who was faithful, who now has 10 talents, that one was given to him. And Matthew says here, to whom much is given, he will have an abundance. And this is the principle. If you will show yourself faithful, Leave the results up to God. But what we, we see in God is God is a generous master and he rewards faithfulness. So I want to draw out two, conclu- two other truths as we wrap up our time today. And the first one is this. Truth number three, steward what God has entrusted to you according to his will. This is pretty simple, Right? The first truth, God owns everything. The second truth, let's not delay. The third truth, the way we steward it, we steward it according to His will. When you adopt a steward's mentality, a steward asks this, what does my master want me to do with His money? That's what a steward asks. What does my master want me to do With his money. One of the main tests of stewardship is this Do you even consult God with how you spend what he's given you? I mean, just think about it. In the past week, has there just been once where you prayed and asked God, Is this how you want me to spend your money? What about the past month? What about the past year? I mean, When's the last time you really consulted, not just like to check it off on a box, but to see, man, God owns it. How can I justify spending this without coming to God? So I want to give you a couple, couple things to wrestle with that, that I think you've got to ask. And the first one is this: you need to let God set your salary. You may have never heard anybody. T- what do I mean? Let God set your salary. I'll just tell you this: just because the money falls in my hands doesn't necessarily mean that I'm the one that's supposed to spend it. If God is the owner, I've got to go to him first. And if you've never done this, you need to wrestle with this. You need to say, God, what is is the certain amount of money that I'm supposed to live on that I need for my family? And you're going to see the implication of this in a second. But you've got to do, look, if you've never done that, I mean, you're, you're coming out of college, you've got a job, you're making all this money. and You're like, okay, I'm supposed to have a lifestyle that matches up with this amount of income. And I want to say, maybe not. Just because this amount of money comes in your household doesn't necessarily mean that needs to line up with a certain level of lifestyle. You've got to go to God and ask that. Now, here's why. If you don't ask the previous question, God, what do you want me to live on? Because this is the same question Reddy asked a few weeks ago when talking about how much to give. He says the question isn't how much I can give. He says the question is how much should I keep? When you answer that first question, how much should I keep? That's saying God set my salary. Then it clarifies how much you're supposed to give and save. I want to share with you one of the treasure principles from Randy Alcorn. His book, we've got it back here, man, just rocks my world. It has changed my life. He says this. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And he continues. When God provides more money, we often think this is a blessing. Well, yes, but it would be just as scriptural to think this is a test. Just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends for it to stay there. So I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to do some Christmas shopping this week, or the next few weeks, and you're going to buy something that you're going to want to send to your family. So you're going to wrap it all up, and you're going to take it to UPS, and you're going to give it to the UPS guy, and you're going to say, will you please send this to a certain, certain address to my family? Now, what if this UPS guy takes that package home, unwraps it, and keeps it? Is there anything wrong with that? What's wrong with that? It's not his package, right? He doesn't own it. It's not for him. The UPS man is a delivery person. And his goal is to get it to the right destination. So it is with God. Your job is to figure out what God wants to be done with the money that he's given to you. And so in other words, you're God's delivery boy or girl. Your first thought isn't, man, look at all the stuff I could buy. Your first thought is, God, how do you want this money used? And that's a steward's mentality. You're not the the end. You may be an aircraft carrier that's taking it to the next destination. So just because God puts money in your hands doesn't mean that he wants it to stay there. If you don't set your own salary, if you don't let God set your salary, when you get money, you're going to be tempted to think, well, I guess God wants me to raise my standard of living. And I would say no. You figure out what God wants you to live on, and then you say, God, what do you want me to do with the rest? You know what? I, you know what? I really want to see a number of you guys go to the nations. And I love Kevin. I love his family. But he would agree with this. Go to Africa, and it'll change the way you spend money. Am I right? Man, a lot of the things that we are just consumed with spending money, go to India, go to Africa, and just Look. Someone say, if, if for no another reason to go with our India trip in March, it would be to go so that God would rock the way you think of money. I'm saying that in love, because I want us to be stewards, guys. So we need to let God set our salary, and then we need to spend within our means. This is tough, right? Spend within our means. Why is it so tough for us to, to spend within our means? I mean, I could give you the numbers of what it looks like right now and the numbers of debt that's increasing. The number of people. I could show you the stats that we did at Redemption Hill. I mean, it's, it's, it's troubling and it's tough because we love things and we also love people and we love to impress people. Dave Ramsey says this, one of the paradoxically dumb things we do is to destroy our finances by buying garbage we can't afford to try and make ourselves appear wealthy to others. I can't afford it, but I'm going to buy it because I want somebody to know that I am somebody. That's not a steward. We don't want to admit to everyone that we've impressed that we're actually fakes. Sir, are you a financial fake? Are you trying to live in such a way that everyone thinks you're financially rich and yet the opposite is true? And so, man, if you're going to spend money wisely, you got to get this. you got to live on a zero-based written budget. It blows my mind the, none of, the, the number of people that have no clue where their money is going. And let me just tell you this. I was there for a while. And if you were to ask me, hey, John, were you living on a budget? I'd say, yeah, I got money in the the bank account. That's what it meant to live on a budget. As long as as I haven't, like, overdraft my funds, I'm, I'm good. I'm not spending more. No, that's not living on a budget. Hey, do you know how much you spent in the past month on eating out? Or could you find that out in five seconds? I could. Do you know how much you've spent in entertainment in the past month? You may say, man, living on a budget's tough. John Maxwell says this, a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. If you don't live on a budget, your money's ruling you. And I want to be in control and to say, God, that's why me and my wife sit together and we put a budget together and we ask God, how do you want us to spend your money? And we write it out. This is how we're spending your money, God. We're going to be accountable. This is why as a church, we put a financial ministry plan together because you want us to be accountable for how we spend the money. And that's why in your business, there's going to be budgets that you've got to live by. Don't follow the government, by the way, in this. Why? Because there's accountability. You hold your business and us to something that you don't even do yourself. It's as if you want everybody else to be accountable. You don't want them to be accountable to anybody. You will be accountable to God one day for every dime that you spend. So Dave Ramsey says this, if you worked for a company called You Incorporated and your job at You Incorporated was to manage money and you managed money at You Incorporated, the way you manage your money now, would You Incorporated fire you? Probably, yes. So you need to live on a budget. Hey, by the way, I've actually printed out some budgets on my financial table over here. Go grab one today, and it'll change your life. And it's not chains; it's freedom. Because now the conversations with my wife aren't, hey, man, can I go buy this? You know how I respond? Is it in the budget? Man, we used to fight all the time. Man, I don't know how much money we've spent on clothes or eating out. Now I can tell her, we've got this amount of money to eat out. If the money's there, go spend it. If the money's in the clothes budget, go spend it. But if it's not, no. It clarifies a lot of our conversations. We also need to spend wisely. I love these principles right here. I'm going to just give these to you real quick. Some of the more treasured principles. My heart always goes where I put God's money. You need to know this. When you spend money, your heart's going to chase after it. So beware. Another one. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Look, I'm ultimately, my goal is not to collect a bunch of stuff here. I'm headed for heaven. And then I should live not for the dot, but for the line. Live for eternity. John Wesley posed four questions about money. He said this, in spending this money, am I acting as if I owned it or am I acting as the Lord's trustee? What scripture requires me to spend this money in this way? Can I offer this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? And will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? We need to spend according to the will of God. Final truth. Steward what God has entrusted to you in view of Jesus' return. Every single one of us will settle accounts. And for us, the return is either when we die or if Jesus returns before that. We will stand before our Creator. And I want you to get this. I don't want you to walk away today thinking, I've got to go steward my money so I can get to heaven. Do you know what? The way you steward money actually represents who your treasure is. You see, when Jesus becomes your Savior and He becomes your King, you ch- it changes the way that you spend money. And so I'm not saying, go steward a certain way so you can... Earn your way into heaven. I want to say, come to Jesus and let Him be the rightful King of your life. Repent of your sin. Believe in Him and let Him rule. Follow Him. And steward as a a motivated by the gospel, by love, because of the great grace that He has given to us. At the end of the day, it's not going to matter what anybody else thought about how you spent your money. It's only going to matter about God. So all these people that you live to impress with money right now, it's not going to mean a thing. Are you living to hear others say of you, he's a great success? Are you living to hear, well done, good, and faithful servant? And so the point of the sermon is this. All of Jesus' disciples should seek faithful stewardship of all of God's resources that He has entrusted to us as we eagerly wait for His return. Give first. Save second. Spend last. If you are a faithful steward, teach others here. And if you need help, We want to help you. How do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. So let's take steps to see God change the way we spend money. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, would you continue to transform us, to change us? God, would you help us to repent of ways that we have not stewarded well? Would you help us to repent of ways that we've stored up treasures on earth? and not sought after eternal treasures? God, would you help us to live not for the voices of our neighbors or our coworkers or their approval, but would you help us to live for your approval, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, would you help us with these enormous tasks that we feel like whether it's a budget or saving or giving, that you would reign rightly and empower us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.